Jeff, I think we're on. It says recording. Welcome to the Magic Academy podcast. All the way from. Well, do you want to tell me where you are? Fletch, it's great to see and hear you. Um, <laughs> Thank you. All the way from Melbourne, sunny Melbourne. Yeah, pretty pretty good today. So, all the way from here. Uh, make me jealous. What's the weather like? How's it been like? Mate, Melbourne. To be fair, Melbourne's not great compared to most of us. Certainly Sydney and Brisbane. Everyone tells me it's very cold. But when you're from Stockton on Tees, it is not cold at all. Uh, actually, you mentioned Stockton, so just an early one. Um, which other famous member of the Magic Academy also played for Stockton? Oh, that's an easy one. Come on, Rusty. <laughs> oh, Russell Earnshaw. He didn't think that you would remember him. I was talking to him earlier and I said, oh, look, you guys got something in common. He said, you won't even know who I am because he's too... You, he's too yeah, he's, you couldn't you couldn't forget that very distinctive voice as well, could you? Yeah, he sounds yeah. like he's uh, smoking about a hundred a day. <laughs> he does. Uh, he definitely is. Mate, um yeah, just should just you tell me about how you've ended up here. Tell me about your early early days around around rugby, what sort of stuff was going on. So from the start, all the way back then? Eh? Yeah, yeah. Kinda of keep it as brief as you can. Okay, um, I was, I guess, relatively late to rugby compared to most. So when I was growing up, I pretty much did every sport going. Um, yeah, as much as I could. I joined a new school when I was 12, basic, well, 11, 12, basically. Everyone from my school went to the school where my dad was a teacher. And he was known from being a very, very strict <laughs> enforcing the rules teacher. So he did not want me to go to his school. So I sort of left all my mates, everyone, joined a new school, was trying to get to know know people. One of the lads I got pally with, played for Stockton Rugby Club. And when I was 12, he took me down, I remember, to the Darlington Festival um, and basically absolutely loved it. Yeah, it was brilliant. So he sort of got me into it, Merce, um, who was incidentally my best man at my wedding. And then we badgered the teacher, Keith Lewin, the next year, can he make a rugby team? So really a rugby school at all it was just football we got enough lads from Stockton to come down I went from there so played for Stockton and Ian Ramsey all through those edge groups and to be fair we had pretty handy teams and, and it was class absolutely loved it Let's really what sort of stuff from the coaching there'll be lots of people listening to this hopefully there's lots of people listening to this lots of them will be Sunday morning dad warriors <laughs> like me and now you uh, with Henry which is exciting uh, yeah what, what, what sort of stuff was going on why did he love it so much well, the, the, the main thing Nick Moore did was he would get everybody would play a game, no matter how good any people were. Often teams would turn up with not enough players and he would sometimes give the opposition our best players. And sometimes parents would get annoyed at him because we might lose the odd game. But what happened is when we got to 16, 17, when you probably see a little bit of a drop off in player numbers, We'd kept a really good squad together, and I think it was because he'd always given everyone a chance. And it was just having a laugh; it was just enjoyment. We'd do um, end of year tours. We'd go to Scotland, the the West Coast. It was you know pretty much just a, uh, a booze up for the parents, <laughs> but, uh, but we had a good time as well. Interesting. I'm not sure you're aware of this. The England rugby brought in half a game rule, so they've actually regulated. So everybody in the squad now um, is afforded an opportunity to play at least half the game. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, it's. I think it's. Well, why not? <laughs> um, I think if you if you ask the kid, or oh, why are you playing the game, they'll just be because because uh, they enjoy it. So you just got to keep them enjoying it, haven't you? Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't think if you ask the kids, or um, most of them wouldn't be so. I'm just desperate to win. Although my boy is pretty com- competitive, but he'd uh, 
that you just want to enjoy it. Yeah, cool. Nice. Yeah, there would be, and again, people are aware of it. It's lots of information, evidence out there why kids play. Uh, of course, if you ask the kid, would you do you want to win or, or lose the vast majority would say I want to win some would say I'm not that bothered um, however if you ask them other stuff like what's the most important stuff then yeah then that's definitely go on then continue after that because I'm aware then you uh, went to a posh school was, didn't you yeah basically when I was 16 I was playing for England under 16 A's I was the only person at the time I think in my squad that was either not at a posh school or who wasn't going to go to a posh school so I asked my parents um <clears throat> Like, look, it was hard leaving mates, but my school finished at 16. I would have gone to my local comp, to be honest. It was probably a bit of a doss about you go to the local, sneak home maybe during the day, go to a couple of hours of lectures a day. And I, not just from rugby, I wanted to probably try and um, get a bit more of myself academically as well and be pushed and get some new opportunities. So I actually asked my parents, can you try and get me a scholarship at one of these rugby schools? So we actually went to Barney and Durham. Um, I would have joined Barnard Castle. I think that was probably my first choice, but the offer of the scholarship, we were going away. We used to go camping every summer holiday, Fletch. I'm talking for five weeks in Scotland and you know, the northern, like John O'Groat somewhere for five weeks. So we needed to get the offer through before we went away and it was too slow. So Durham's came through. So I basically signed then and joined the Posh Kids, yeah. Oh, wow. And how was that? It was, uh, what was your, what was your, what, what stuff can you remember from Durham? Um, I can look at it. I definitely saw, to be honest, not just rugby, a different side of life, I guess, compared to what I was used to. Um, but academically, chances, opportunities, the, the people I was probably mixing with as well. But rugby wise, it was a lot more serious. So Paul Gerard was the coach there, pushed a, a good rugby programme, very, very big on fitness. So that was all I remember is running up chapel steps and doing this circuit on Mondays. Jeez, but. If I'm honest, would have I become a rugby player if I'd not gone there and I'd stayed and gone to my local comp? I'd probably say no. It's hardly. I'd, I don't think I exactly had the um, best, you know, natural athletic ability. So I probably needed to be pushed to then get noticed. Otherwise, um, so yeah, just went at Durham, played for England under 18s and 19s and again it was at one of the games I think it was an England under 18 game I was the only player on the team sheet so it would have everyone's school and the club they were in the academy and at the time I was the only player again that didn't have a club next to next to the name um, so then obviously Newcastle and Sale I went and looked around both the clubs and was very impressed. Remember, I was shown the uh, the big plan for Kingston Park. <laughs> Everybody shown the plan, and it still the hasn't been plan. built. <laughs> the big one on the stairs. Um, went and met met the moth, and he he showed me around and decided to to go go for Newcastle. Um, obviously, very glad I did. Went up there, combined it with going to Newcastle Uni as well. I was in, you know, pretty insistent. I wanted to do studies as well, but the good thing I thought about the academy, as you'll know, was. Every single player really was in it. If they weren't pushed to do studies, it was a link to uh, maybe go to Newcastle College and look at a trade or something else. And I thought uh, I did. I thought it was quite important. And to be honest, mate, I had an absolutely outstanding time in the academy. Well, as you'll know, what a uh, what a time! And it was just yeah. it was good fun. You know, I lived lived in some horrible houses with the lads. Um, met some great characters. You know, I'd still keep in touch with, with most of them and, and yeah, I had a great time in Newcastle Academy. 
Yeah, it is interesting because obviously I was I was kind of starting then up the academy and I've been involved in in player development uh, uh, for quite a long time. It's kind of going back full circle. So people now are talking about people should be going into universities. We need to do less for these young players. We need to um, have much better balance. So it became really um, oh, what's the word I'm look, looking for? Uh, well, it was it was really professional and quite serious for a period of time and people have got to commit to rugby and as I said it's interesting because I think we've um, the pathway's coming coming round to a little bit of kind of how, how it how it was as in give players more responsibility definitely give them yeah. opportunity to go to university I think it depends on the, the stage you are in your career as well so I remember when I joined Leicester and I turned up and it was so professional it was perfect for me at that time in my career yeah but I, I would agree with you. And I think if you're spoon-fed too much, especially maybe when you've just left home and you're 18, 19, you're in the academy, I think you've got to find your way a little bit as well and um, look after, learn to look after yourself. So you obviously want to give people chances, but I don't think you can spoon-feed them too much at that age. Yeah, there was definitely stuff we used to talk about. Clearly, we weren't that well-resourced anyway, but certainly the first... It was, tw- you, it? <laughs> it was fairly Remember busy. the camp, we had a pre-season camping trip, lads, by the way, just bring your own tents, your own food, your own beer, and make you up there, we'll see you there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was kind of it. However, it's, it's turned some people into the men they are today. But yeah, it's um, yeah. I think that, that was that stuff we did used to talk about, I think we always felt it was important, the first 12 months from leaving school, and then... People talk now, they call it have a transitional programme. Um, and I do think it's important that you kind of just let people find their way a little bit. Obviously, you're clearly there to guide them and there's some behavioural stuff and there's some stuff that wouldn't be that ideal. But um, yeah, I think you're absolutely absolutely right. And that was certainly deliberate on our point that we have to have lots of conversations about it. Um, may just expand a little bit. because So we're now getting into you as a, as a professional. So you go into the academy um, anything else you want to say about your your time at the Falcons? How how was how has that helped you or or hindered you or what what influences were there? I'm not asking for a shout out, by the way, Jeff. You're definitely asking for a shout out. <laughs> I'm aren't not you? seriously. Definitely asking for a shout out. Jeez. All right, Fletch. Yes, you and Walter, brilliant. Here we go. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Thanks, mate. <laughs> um, no, the game was good. Um, I really enjoyed my time there. I thought it was a like I said, especially coming through the academy with some playing with good mates I thought I really enjoyed that A-League when we had the, um, the sorry the under-21s league at the time travelling around and playing the night before the, the first team would play we obviously the first thing I did was we did a tour to New Zealand as well uh, just went through and managed to to get into the first team probably around about 2021 possibly yep. um, yeah it, and you know, like I said, just just really enjoyed it. For me, I, I loved it, and it was my local club. But we never, obviously, pushed on to the potential that I thought thought we had. Um, you know, I would have liked to have probably stayed there longer, but I did get to the point in my final year. So it was after, just after you and Waltz had, had gone. Probably the end of that season, I I realised um, I I wanted to get more out of me. I didn't think I was the player. I, could be in the in the end there, and um, obviously we were fighting relegation every year as well. And um, I thought probably in that last year, it was things were some some things were a little bit crazy, and I felt like you know it could only be a short career. I want to try and make the most out of this career whilst I've, I've got a chance. So um, yeah, certainly that 
that, that last year. It was sad to go, but I was probably craving um, a different environment at the time, I guess, at the end of my time at Falcons. You know, not when I, when I was 21, 22, 23, absolutely loved it. But just those last, especially the last year, I found probably was getting frustrated with what I felt at the time were probably the, the aspirations of the club and the general professionalism around it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Just Again, just get this back to coaching. What would be some of the key attributes for a coach around that sort of those ages around the performance pathway and 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 within that um because some people don't get waltz i obviously do um spend a huge amount of time Uh, i've got no idea but some people wouldn't so yeah i mean it's not necessarily about pete but yeah i would like you to talk about pete in terms of this this from a coaching point of view but also so what what's what advice would you give to coaches about supporting players who are transitioning from school into the professional game well, I'd say in that that environment there, those first couple of years out of the academy, I, I never felt that you, Waltz, um, Peely, when he's around, ever really, you know, you, there was never a stick. I always thought there was just a, a bit of carrot there. Um, and what what we got out of it, I mean, if you look at the sort of success rate from that senior academy, I think there's probably... 13 out of about 15 players would have played a serious number of professional games and I thought the environment that was there that was created was one that of enjoyment so did we enjoy going to training and being around the club 100% yes we did did we work hard we undoubtedly work hard but that was without ever really you know it wasn't really any shouting it was probably just environments created where enjoyment with good people would make them want to work hard to play well for each other I guess uh, you know nothing was ever sort of labelled out this is how we have to, have to work because I think we just did it really you know if you look at all the people that there was Tatey, Floody, Dicko, Woodsy, Boosty, Ed, um, Bobby Vickers, Davy, all, all these sort of lads, great group of fellas who were just desperate to, to to do well, and I thought the environment there just probably let people flourish and let people be themselves. You know, Ed was going to be Ed, no matter where he was. Um, you talk about Ed, Ed uh, Williamson, who is he's a crazy Ed, guy, crazy, yeah, um, tackling bollards, falling down steps in front of people. But Ed, Ed was Ed, brilliant guy. Tatey's Tatey. He's the, the tightest man I've ever met, um, and he's always going to be like that. He's, you know, he's but Teddy's Teddy, and I just thought it was lads were allowed to to be themselves within the, you know, within the environment of the team. But yeah, it was just a, it was just a good place to be. And I thought, you know, I, maybe you don't always have to look at outcomes, but if you do look at the outcomes of the quality of players that came out of that academy, then they, they did some decent things. Yeah, look, and it was, and me and Pete speak a lot about this, and I'll be honest, we, we learn as much of you guys as all coaches do, so coaches, you know, the best learnings they get is is often from their players, as well as each other, um, and we learn loads from you guys, because, I mean, I'll be honest, it was relatively straightforward, it was around just creating an environment, trying to create some competition, me and Pete obviously had a vision for the game, we wanted it was always about skill. We always wanted players to be really skillful. We want to play a game with high movement, um, and then if anybody else wants to play a different game, and then you know we, then players players then were capable of d- 
doing that, but we definitely wanted to try and stretch some players. Mate, just on Pete, go on. How would you describe Waltz other than his physical qualities? Um, I'd say genuinely out of everybody I've come across in my rugby career, he'd be one of my favourite people. Um, and I've met a, a, a fair few people. So, main thing, very, very genuine, honest, down-to-earth. Um, that's probably underestimated sometimes, but I think that's outstanding. And, yeah, I think just working with the forwards there, those boys at Newcastle, he just, like I said, he gave us a bit of carry. He wanted us to flourish. He, um, I thought he was good at getting the best out of people. And I think if you spoke with lads from the academy at that time, all lads who were... Um, working with him in the you know, all the age grade setups, everybody would speak very, very highly of him. Yeah, the things I would think about, I've never met a man that cares as much about the players. He's like, um, and he's really emotional. You guys probably talk, you know, just how much. Well, no, no, you can see, yeah, he is. I can see him, yeah, really emotional. Cries a lot, you know, every time he's. <laughs> yeah, I've never met a big, a, a big fella that cries as much as Pete, but yeah, just. Just how much he cares, and when he speaks about people, he he, he speaks about the person. So if he was to speak about Jeff Paul, and he would talk about Ellen, the and the funny stories that we probably can't share here, and then he start talking about the rugby player. Um, so I, I mean, that's the stuff for me, mate. So we're moving through into, into Tigers, and then go on, just continue to talk about your journey around Tigers, Chiefs, and then and then your decisions after that, but. Yeah, so the, uh, when I left Newcastle, well, Sale was again, so the choice of Sale or Leicester. Um, just, I, I just, at Leicester at the time, the, the forward pack was known as being, you know, the, the forward pack they had. What they had Benny Kay. I looked at the locks there, Benny Kay, um, Richard Blaze, Lewis Deacon, Vensel was just leaving, but they had this stock of, of English Locks, and to be honest, when I signed there, I don't think anybody would have given me much of a hope. But I, I basically said to myself, I was playing a lot of six and lock, and I thought I needed to try and nail down a bit more of one position. And if I was going to go anywhere to try and prove myself, go to Leicester. If it ended up not working out, well, I thought, well, at least I've gone and given it a crack, basically. Yeah. Um, went down there, and it, like I said, at that time in my career, it was probably everything I was craving for, and... Um, you know, some outstanding players, again, good people, very, very professional, very, very hard environment, very tough. I'd say one of the most honest, tough environments you, you could ever come across. So when you say honest and tough, what does that mean? Just ex- expand well, on that a bit. The, 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 I always remember the first day he got, Cock has got all the new recruits in, gone around in the gym. Basically went, if you're going to be one minute late to training, F off. Uh, if you're going to ever turn up in the wrong kit, just F off, don't bother coming in. And it was some of the review days were brutal, like brutal for lads. But it was, it wasn't for everyone, wasn't for everyone, but it was probably what I was really, really craving. Um, yeah, because that stuff definitely yeah. wouldn't bother you. You were, um, so my, some stuff about, you know, you know my observations of you, you could definitely take criticism. You would want it fairly straight, not that fluffy. Uh, you'd be prepared yeah. to give some back as well. It's one thing I've always liked about you. You've always had an opinion. Um, uh, however, you've also got the ability to go, well, yeah, actually, I'm going to consider somebody else's opinion and actually I'll hold my hand up. I don't think I was right. But I love the fact as a player right from the start, you've always challenged. Uh, I mean, did you did you go into Tigers and challenge a bit? Or was that something that you took 
And, and, well, sorry, yeah, sorry. yeah, I'm not. I'm, uh, if I'm honest, that sometimes it probably didn't um, help me out with some people. But 100, look, Fletch, if I if I think something is is wrong and the team can be better, uh, or myself or one of my teammates wasn't getting treated how I the way I thought people sh- should get treated, then I would I would say something. Um, and where's that and come always, from? Um, I don't know. Like my my, I'm not really sure. I'm trying to think when I was growing up. Like my 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 dad's very very shy. You know, very shy. If there was ever like I was um, if there was ever like someone starting a fight, my dad would always be, you no, know, walk away, be the bigger man. My mum was always be, no, no, give him a crack. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm not surprised to hear that from both parties. Your mum and your dad. Well, I probably listened to my uh, probably listened to my dad more. Where did it come from? I don't know. I've probably got a very um, okay. I'm, I know I can be quite opinionated sometimes, and have quite a you know those personality tests that everyone does. It would say yeah. um, if it, if it was on me, it would say I have like a certain set of beliefs, and if something goes against those sort of beliefs, and it, it does, it, it probably gets to me you know about probably honesty and, and and all that sort of stuff. Certainly, I get with players now if. It's just something like effort. I feel like not just effort of in training and games, but effort to be on time and effort to prepare well. If that's not done, you know that does uh, that does get to me. Yeah, I'm not surprised to hear you say that because again, and it was um, it's also something else. And also, you, you were you're really good in the team, so you've got a, 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 a rare blend of holding people to account. But actually, with that, I used to think you would do it well. Uh, I mean, I'm not surprised you've gone into coaching. I don't know. Is, is that always been part of your plan from playing into coaching? Is that was that was that part of the master yeah, plan in the Paulin House? I've, I've always, yeah, I've always done it. So I did my uh, coaching badges. You know, I remember I did what my one and two at Newcastle, my level yeah. three at Leicester. I've always coached local teams. And when I was at Newcastle, I did the uni bit with Shawsy local teams. I was doing Taunton when I was in Exeter. I've always done it. I've also, for probably the last five years of my career, if I saw little snippets from coaches or drills or bits I saw, I would write them down and I'd like make a little database of things. Um, enjoy listening to reading books on performance. Uh, I think it, if I'm honest, Fletch, I think it's because a lot of it is I'm not, and you would probably agree, I'm, I don't think I'm the, well, I'm, I know I'm not the best natural athlete. And I feel like I had to really, you know, give absolutely drain everything I could do to get the career I, I could do. And I think that's why probably when, if people aren't doing that, that's why it frustrates me. And that's probably why I feel that I can, when I was coaching, if I could see, see, well, feel things like I felt, oh, we could maybe do this better or um, this player could be getting more out of the career. I wanted to help there. Mm-hmm. I, I really did. Okay, so um, anything else from Tigers? I mean, well, whatever stuff did you learn? You clearly went on. You you had some fantastic games. You won some. Well, you won lots of stuff. Um, yeah, anything else from Tigers? Anything else? I just uh, I, look. I, I just loved it. If um, look, I know Newcastle when we were growing up, it was a brilliant team. I had a great time at, at Exeter at the end. But if there was, if I was if someone asked me oh, what would be the sort of the, the team that defined you was not defined you 
made you as a player and you know it was also the place where myself and my wife bought our first house so two first two kids were born there that I would describe that as my club in a way um, I probably never thought I would actually leave Tigers when I was there but think you know things happened but it was a yeah just it was a tough a, a tough environment and I, I, I did really enjoy it yeah, again mate. met a lot a lot of good people there yeah, and your first caps came there, didn't, didn't they? From you know, so there's lots of really exciting stuff happening. And why Chiefs then? So why did you leave Tigers, or um, why did you end up the Chiefs? <laughs> oh, I, look, I, I wasn't. There was a couple of people I needed to be getting on with that I wasn't getting on with. Okay. I think we should leave it. At <laughs> okay, I mean, and again, but, um, that's. I mean, that's not that uncommon uh, within uh, within a professional sport. Yeah. There's a sometimes there's a misunderstanding. Sometimes it snowballs and escalates. So uh, go on then to talk about Chiefs because Chiefs would be different, or certainly my perception around Chiefs would be different. What was the yeah, best? Definitely. So what, what's I, the best stuff happening the Chiefs? It was it there. So I knew um, after that World Cup in 2015, I knew I'd only spoke to England manager, and they said oh, that was going to be it for me, and they were going to bring on the young lads. So I did have a little look abroad, but there was I only probably looked. I don't know why it was just the Southwest. Probably um, interested in some clubs in the Southwest, and it just came through Tommy Waldron. So. I'd, when I looked at the Chiefs, I felt probably like I loved Leicester and I loved all these clubs. It, some, as you would know, sometimes I felt like I was probably taking rugby a bit too seriously as well. Mm-hmm. So I would, I would get home um, after training. I've missed a tackle. I've dropped a ball, which believe me did happen. Fletcher, as you would know, <laughs> I can't um, imagine you dropped any balls, Jeff. <laughs> can't imagine that, eh? And you know, I'd, I'd, I'd be, I'd be up all night because of one tiny mistake in training. I'd get home after games and I. I wouldn't be sleeping. I didn't really drink much at all during the season. I was fairly, and I'd been that from a young age, fairly teetotal from a young during the season. I certainly enjoyed the weddings in June, but <laughs> when rugby was on, rugby was on for me, and I probably got to a point where I thought I'm getting towards the end of my career. I need to try and relax a bit more and see rugby for a different side. And I probably thought I was um, instead of playing rugby for the real love of it I'd probably gone to a little bit of playing rugby out of the fear of not letting someone down not letting myself down not letting people down instead of just for the pure you know that, that pure enjoyment moment so I know it's a long way of getting there but when I looked at Chiefs I saw a team that worked really really hard but were definitely known for enjoying each other's company as well okay. I spoke to Tommy about the culture and that's exactly what he said it was like so to be honest it was um I knew I was going to leave Tigers. I could have gone abroad. I would have uh, got frustrated at some things in France. Everyone tells me about French rugby, maybe. And I knew it was very professional Chiefs. I knew they worked very hard, but I knew that there was they tried to promote the other side to life as well and that it's not always just rugby. And I thought, for me, that was going to probably be important at the time. Yeah, it is. I mean, lots of play, people talk about it. And that's definitely something I would look for in the players. How much are they they'll actually love the, love the sport? Um it's definitely advice I'd give them. Try to try to have a mindset like when you first played or your best environment as a kid. That, that should follow you through a little bit. Um, I'm also frustrated when people aren't smiling more on the pitch and generally look as though they're having a good time. I think it's a, it's a time that often when I speak to old people like me and they go, actually, I, I do have some regrets. Um, I know it's Walter's fam- f- famous saying around no regrets, but I think it is something that... Well, I try That's to... what I say. I've took it with me. I say a bit of that now, Fletch. I do. No, it's, a, it's a very simple saying, but it's good. I always remember. I remember on the Lions tour, um, 
watching Simon Simon Zebo and thinking, geez, how different is me? Um, how different is he to me pre-game? So I remember one time when the lad actually played the Rebels and they ran out and he was massive smile on his faces. He was high-fiving every one of the team as he ran past. He just looked like he was playing the park and enjoying himself. <laughs> and I know that was never going to be me that extent, but apparently he was a bit like, oh, come on, Jeff, just chill out a little bit. <laughs> chill a bit, chill a bit. Look, it, I mean, everybody's different and it's about being effective and having a good performance. But yeah, generally, I do think that that some people are... Um, yeah, yeah. I think they might look back and go, yeah, I probably needed to take it for what it was and, and um, yeah, definitely just enjoyed it a little, little bit more. Mate, so why uh, why Japan, other than the obvious? Is there any other reason after Chiefs? Um, I was loving, I was loving Chiefs, absolutely loved the area. I just thought, right, this is my last chance to maybe go and do something abroad. I knew I wanted to coach after rugby at that point. I thought, right, if I can go and try and experience... So Super Rugby came first in terms of contract-wise. If I can experience Super Rugby, be an unbelievable experience, take my family to Australia. I've always really loved Australia when I've toured there. And I think it could be good for my coaching to experience a different comp as well. So I literally... Shane Lehane was a conditioner at Leicester. He was at the Rebels at the time. He mentioned me to the... To the um, to the CEO, I got his email and I literally just emailed him saying, hi, um, Jeff Pollan here, I'd, I love Australia, I'd like to come experience Super Rugby and I'd love to join the Rebels next year. Literally like that. Classic. Um, wow. Well, uh, maybe you uh, should so, be an agent, Jeff. Maybe, you, maybe you've missed your calling. <laughs> well, I, I couldn't be an agent first because trust me, when someone comes in that keen, you're not going to offer him a bumper deal either. You're like, <laughs> That's right, point. He's desperate, he wants to come here. Uh, so I, I signed... Um, the Super Rugby deal and but most lads at one point when they get to that stage of your career are probably looking for the longest most expensive deal I, I'd signed a six months deal and um, basically took a pretty much a 65% pay cut wow. um, well why then just because of the the experience as a family but the opportunity to coach is is that the reason why you did um, everything I thought I thought the experience of family going to Australia um, experience for me playing Super Rugby playing Super Rugby possibly would there be something in coaching afterwards in, in Oz as well I just that for me outweighed money basically mm. um, uh, I think money's money's important don't get me wrong it's definitely important but money's money I just thought let's go on a little life adventure and I, there was a lot of Aussies at, at the time at you know, Dave Dennis and, and Greg Holmes, I got on really well at Exeter and just speaking to them and they were like, yeah, you should you should go for it. You'd really, really enjoy it. Um, and then the Japan thing, I was actually going to stay in the Premiership because that didn't, Super Rugby obviously didn't start till January, yeah. so I had six months there. Um, and I was going to stay in the Prem for six months to try to sign a short-term deal. And there was one point I had spoke to Rob and there was one of the club and then my mate, it was actually Ben Herring, who used to be at mm-hmm. Leicester, he was at the time he was defence coach for Japan. Japan, where Jimmy Joseph used to be a player at Sanix. Sanix were now looking for a line out lock. He just got in contact. Have you signed it yet? No. Right, get get someone, an agent to get onto get onto Japan. There might be something there for you. And literally, the I looked, found out about the club, spoke to a couple of people, didn't know anything about it. Signed the uh, signed the deal. We thought right, we're off on an adventure. So it was, you know, it was pretty big. We had gave my wife gave birth to Eve in March, March the twenty second. 
and then three months later we were up and on the way to Japan with the last day of leaving our house it was you know the place we bought in exit was pretty much our sort of forever house with the stuff we had El's auntie and uncle and we actually had to leave them when we left in the um in the cab to go to the airport we actually leave them to finish putting our stuff away and things and, and because it was just money if you imagine us having a fresh and you know, fresh baby and baby and stuff like that turned up in japan now i'd not spoke to a single person from this club in japan it was just all being done through an agent i honestly arrived at the airport and i was like is this real what's going on here wow. uh, arrived in japan the guy came and met us took us um, to the hotel and right right we're into it so honestly just sort of completely wanted to get into the unknown and, and see how it would go Right, just, uh, I know we haven't spoke about the Lions, and we will, because definitely lots of people would be interested around the Lions stuff, but um, what's the, what's some differences around coaching, sort of Super Rugby in the Southern Hemisphere and the Premiership, what's the stuff you've noticed that's different? Well, just just from the logistics side of view, the, the travel completely changes things, so everything in the Premiership and in Europe I found so consistent, so away games even if you play a European game in France you're flying back that night you're back yeah. this is the day you're doing recovery here here we're flying through time zones last last year we did two weeks in South Africa landed back on the Monday probably and then on the Friday we were away in Brisbane playing the Reds um, so just completely different from, from that side of, from that side of things the Obviously, the, the weather in generally is different. Is different, and you're playing in stadiums that are probably more enclosed, so that even wind would have less impact. Um, so the game generally is. I don't know if it probably is a bit faster, but my word describing it would be looser. So I feel like the game in Super Rugby, you would see somebody sprint to the twenty-two, go for a what a lot of teams in the Premiership would describe as a speculative offload someone else will pick it up, run another 50 metres the other way, they will go for another offload, there's another turnover, teams will go back the other way. So it is in generally a bit looser. I feel like your teams must be are probably told to respect the ball a bit more in the opposition 22 and go through phases. Mm-hmm. Also, ball in play, so I don't know, we looked at it last year, and the, the ball in play in Super Rugby, we, where ours was generally probably five minutes less than the average of the Premiership. Now, I don't know, who was compiling those stats and exactly what it was going on? Because you'd watch the games, you think it's not, it can't be this much different. Mm-hmm. But it did seem to be more of instead of going through phases, right? We're going for an opportunity and we're going for the kill, basically straight away. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, bowling players all obviously it's a metric, but it's sometimes it could be misunderstood. Um, really, um, and I don't think it's that. I don't think it's that helpful. Clearly, there'd be other teams even within the Super Rugby who are a little bit more Northern Hemisphere. They do keep the ball for a reasonable period of time. They do try to build pressure. I mean, they, I mean, the Crusaders yeah. build quite a lot of pressure. They play a lot through their forwards. Um, so, yeah, and they're the most successful team of the Southern Hemisphere recently. But, I mean, that's it. Well, what about the coaching, Jeff? So, think not as you as a coach, but how you were coached. Did that feel different or was that different? It was probably different when I turned up because the when I turned up, I'd every time I joined a club before that, you know, Exeter and, Ch- and Leicester, I joined a very a club with loads of traditions and a very very old club. Mm-hmm. When I joined the Rebels, it was nine years old, and to be honest, it was a few months old because 
the Western Force had just been caught and it was pretty much an amalgamation of the mm-hmm. of the two clubs in a way. So it was it was new. Everybody everybody was new. So um, certainly there's a much higher percentage of Pacific Islander players here, and I'd say the age range of players is definitely younger as well. So, like I said, in the in the UK, you might join a club and you've had lads who have been there for. 10, 15 years, you might have six and seven, over the age of 30. A lot of players in Super Rugby will get to late 20s and then will go and try and get bigger earning deals abroad. So it might come to the UK, France, Japan. So that, that the age range is definitely different or feels different at least. Okay. And what about the coaching? So what did you ex- experiences uh, from a from a player? I think, yeah, what was, the, was the coaching radically different or was it similar or...? The same. I don't, I don't think it was. I don't think it was radically different. No, um, but probably there's a, a, a slight, a slight more emphasis on on physical metrics, probably to what I'd been used to. But no, it wasn't wasn't a, bit, a big, you know, big difference at all. Um, now you you've also got you've only got four clubs in Oz, so you've got the AIU's influence as well, probably compared to the UK. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, that I guess that that is different there. The same with the the model in in New Zealand. So there's probably different ways of doing things that, that we see. But in general, I'd say the coaching was pretty similar. Okay, my Lions obviously the highlight of anybody's career. If somebody said Fletch, name some people out there, Falcons Academy, who are going to be Lions. Obviously, you would have been top of the list. Um, um, but yeah, mate. I mean. What a fantastic achievement! Played in the three test matches in in Oz. Um, yeah, go on to talk about it. What sort of what sort well, of stuff was, comes yeah, to it mind? Just, it was amazing, Fletch. It was. Um, we we played the final with Leicester and uh, which we beat Northampton in. So we arrived the next day. The other lads who hadn't involved in final finals have been training for two weeks. So she met them the next day. Flew out to. Hong Kong had a week there. Went over to um, Oz. I remember it was a look. It was a huge moment being there, but I didn't feel part of the team and felt like I could call myself a British Lion. And even though I was on the squad until I'd actually wore the shirt and, and played in the game, and I felt very strange when people would ask me to sign the shirt before I came off the bench against the Western Force. That was the first first game I played in. But before that, I I didn't feel like I deserved to sign a shirt or, or call myself a lion. Um, had a just enjoyed it, enjoyed the traditions of it. It was you know you're playing midweek games against teams you're never going to play against again. You'd have beers with them in the changing room after the after the game. It was just the feeling of it was just so much more old school than anything I'd ever experienced before. Um, yeah, just just travelling around the support on the weeks leading up to tests, you just see more and more red shirts arrive as it got closer to game day. It was just insane. Um, just the whole experiences of, of how it went. Um, I mean, even even again when I, I remember the first test, I remember I was on the uh, bench for the first test. So Paul O'Connell and Alan Wynne Jones were starting. I was getting texts in. Oh, congratulations! And probably the as you would know, Fletch, I was actually a bit annoyed I wasn't starting. That was just <laughs> how I felt naturally. Um, <laughs> but even the way the um, the test played out, so I'm trying to think how it worked. We had the we had the first 
at the first test sorry yeah so the first test which obviously we won then I was meant to be captain of the midweek game against the Rebels on maybe the Tuesday or Wednesday um, Warren Gatland basically said right you're going to start in the test on Saturday you can still start tomorrow and captain the team what do you want to do and I was like Jesus so oh. just being asked to do you know I could captain the Lions I know it was a midweek game but still captain the Lions tomorrow or pull myself out and try and maybe be a bit fresher for the test but like what do I do here but in the end I'd said to him I'll I thought it would have been my ego playing for me to say, oh yeah, captain the Lions if I'd played, but this sort of the sense my head took over my sensible part of me saying playing on a Tuesday or Wednesday isn't the best prep for a Saturday, especially as you know, I'm not the, the most, uh, I haven't got the, <laughs> you, you know what I'm trying to say. The, I know yeah, what you're trying to say. Blah, blah, blah. So let's try and make the most of that on the Saturday. Um, then it might have been the day after that game. No, but it was actually the day before that game was meant to be. My wife gave birth back home to Eve. So, um, so yeah, so Eve was born. I FaceTimed beforehand. Her auntie answered. She was in the in the birth room instead of me. I got cut off. I was pacing around the room. I was actually very touchy at, at, at training that day. Getting, um, just, oh, geez, what's going on here? Then I remember her auntie called back and the picture wouldn't connect, but then I heard laughing in the background. And as soon as I heard laughing, I, I just felt so relieved because I realised, right, everything's good. Yeah, everything's fine back there. So just that whole experience of that that week was insane. The second test, we um, obviously we, we lost. You know, so we won the first test by them missing a kick at the end. We mm-hmm. lost the second test by us missing a, a kick at the end. When we went up to Noosa for a few days on a just to relax and try and chill out a bit, then obviously the way the the third test went with just everything about it, the build up, the way we you know, really really knocked them over. I actually had arranged so say the first test that third test was on the Saturday. The lads went flying home till the Tuesday, but my flight was home on the Sunday because I had a would have had a two and a half week old daughter at home, so it's a pretty mm-hmm. good reason to go home. Mm-hmm. And then uh, in the changing room, we there. All the boys around, all the management. Uh, Daniel Craig was in there. We were, as lads do, just start humming the James Bond theme tune at him. You know, just staring at him, waiting for a reaction. He's like, "What are these weirdos doing?" <laughs> Spraying champagne at you. And I got a bit carried away, and then I remember my missus from the change and was like, "Oh hell, I've got to stay." I obviously um, heard. You know, she didn't say anything. I sensed the reaction on the end of the phone, and yeah, I still went home the next day. So. <laughs> There's only one <laughs> boss, mate. But I remember I got home and I was um, changing my first, changing a nappy. And then um, I had a photo through from, I think it was like Tom Young's and Rory Best on the smash with a load of cocktail sticks stuck in the faces. And like, we're celebrating this series win in very different days. I've got a bit of poo on my finger. <laughs> Which one would you rather have had? Well, you, yeah, no, I'm glad I went home. I'm glad I Good went home, definitely. I'm not surprised you did. Um, mate, talk about the line out, because clearly... That's your thing. If people were to say it to me, if I was playing a word associating game and said Jeff Barden, one of the words I'd be thinking about would be line out because you're like king of the line outs. How did that come about? I don't, I'm trying to think about Fletch. I'm not sure. I think I was always interested in when I was just watching games. So, for example, when I, any sport when I was younger and I'd, I would watch say I'm watching football and I love watching football I was always interested in why a player took that pass or why a player would 
do what he was doing. You know, and that's any sport I was watching. And I think when I was watching the line-out, other people didn't seem to be interested in it, but I was always interested in why have they gone up there? Why Why are they doing that? I was always asking myself why. And uh, probably another part of it was because I wasn't this big destructive ball carrier that other players could be. Right? What can I really excel at? What can I try and get at? Well, you know what? I think I can... My general sensor on that seems to be pretty good. Let's try and develop that. Um, so I can't really name down why. I think it's probably a combination of those those things. Who did you, who did you learn from? Who were the people? Was it players, coaches, combination? Who who's who's a guy? Did you learn your craft off around the lineup? Just I don't think I don't think, I couldn't name one person. I'd say a, a big combination. Um, everything but I mean I guess it, I'm not just saying it because you're here again but even we're in the academy and I'm with you and Waltz and it was always about I felt the game sense of the, of the players there was always trying to be developed so probably whatever Waltz was doing around the line at the time was developing ours and my my game sense at the time but without but without me realising it without me even knowing okay yeah I mean Waltz loves a line out fuck we used to talk a lot about line outs I'm not even sure he realizes how little I know about the lineout, but he used to just, he basically used to talk at me about the lineout, and I used to nod. And I would say, like, the odd word. I remember us talking about it, and you'd be like, what are they doing? What are they doing? Just get the ball to the back, just pass the ball to Matthew Tate, please. (laughs) Can somebody give the ball to the fast lads? Um, That's it, mate. Look, let's let's not concentrate a little bit as you as the coach. Um, How have you found it? How have you found coaching? As in your recent coaching experiences? A mixture of emotions. Recent coaching. So, so for starters, I was player coach in Japan Yeah. Um, before I came here. Now, I think if anybody's going to try and do a difficult coaching job, go and be a player coach in Japan where there's not always a designated translator. So you just have to use in a Korean mate of yours that can speak a few languages to translate the team and... Yeah. With, with players that are probably naturally brought up to not be inquisitive and not ask questions and not take charge of things. They're just used, they're used to stick, stick, stick from an early age. So, um, you know, in a, a challenging environment to coach, geez, that was it right there. Then I came into the, the Rebels last year and look so, at sorry, mate, just, it. So just on that, so what? what sort of strategies did he use then? So you, so what I've heard there is that, had some guys who don't speak the language. They've probably been brought up in a different environment to you. What sort of stuff? How would you, you know, talk me through some of the coaching so, stuff? Start so with I, I, I put. I made the call Japanese, so I felt that there were a lot of English words around general play and defensive mm-hmm. systems and calling systems. But I thought, but well, we're in Japan. Let's make the calls Japanese. So everybody basically had to learn all lots of certain words. What the, in Japanese? What they related to in the in the line out. Everyone had to be able to count to ten in Japanese as a as a base, and and go from there. Um, in in general, I would if I was putting stuff up, I would always translate, try and translate everything, which I found hard because we didn't have a a full time designated translator at first. And I'd have to I'd be asking people favors all the time. These lads would help me translate and, and and write stuff up for me. I would try and make it a bit more light-hearted and fun sometimes, but they weren't, I would say in general, they probably weren't really used to that. So I was just trying to, to get to know how I would coach now at the Rebels would not be how I was coaching there because they were completely, some bits would be, but they were different players. The skill set was different. The, 
how they were actually made was different. Our our team was a, a very short, small team, so you know, I wouldn't coach that line out if I had compared to if I had a typical South African line out with all these giants. Yeah. So I tried to use our our strengths. Okay. And what about now? What sort of stuff? If I was to come and watch you coach, what, what stuff do you think we'd be talking about? What stuff or what I notice about you as a coach? Um, I'd be generally, you know, I don't say strict, but there's, there's certain rules that make us better. So just basic about lads being on time, wearing the right kit and max effort, then I'd be pretty, I'd say, strict on those. I'd like players to try and take charge. So, and I think as the season goes on, if you looked at meetings, you'd see big the player involvement in meetings. So, um, I would just probably sum things up and start things off. But I would have already met met some guys pre-meeting at the start of the week to how we're going to do things, what's it going to look like. This is how I think we can. You know, you you should go about things here, and I'd try and get players to really take charge now there's definitely still some some way to go um, in terms of outcomes we had some pretty good results last year but there's still a, a, a huge a huge way to go okay um, so just to pick up on that so I mean is that um, is that something that they would be used to around you actually giving them quite a lot of choice and options and autonomy is that something that's quite common in their coaching and their environment. Yeah, no, I think so. I think Dave drives a big environment of of, of learning and um, trying to get the, everyone engaged properly in, in, in meetings. And I think the, the lads do enjoy that and play off that. Um, try to make things very competitive. So if you looked at training, all of our training, not just our unit sessions, you'd see quite a high level of competition everywhere. And you'd probably try, you'd hope, hopefully you'd see some fun as well. Okay, and is that, is so is the competition deliberate? Is that something that you guys have said, look, actually competitiveness and competition is really important around development, selection. Is is that stuff you guys were really explicit about or has it just kind of happened? Yeah, no, no, it's, uh, we're explicit about it. And when we're, when we're designing sessions, um, you know, Dave likes us all to, let's get competition in there. And I think we all agree that that's the way forward as well. So, competition make it fun but you, you, you can see it for I don't think what no matter what age players are if you make things competitive then the interest is always going to be always going to be up there yeah yeah I think by nature of being involved in sport that yeah that competitiveness if I think we spoke about the last time we uh, we spoke it, if, if there's one characteristic I'd be looking for in a player would be their competitiveness. And it, it obviously shows up in different ways, um, but it's definitely stuff I'd be I would be looking for. I'd be watching for it on on and off the pitch, and try and create some moments around it. Um, what may what's the best stuff you've been to recently? Because I'm aware you've been into some stuff. What sort of stuff have you learned? What stuff do you want to share with the with the coaches back in Blighty? I um, say so I, I think I've been I've been trying to take in quite a few different environments. Had a Ever been day in the the Sydney Roosters? Um, I met Andy Banks, who's Tom Daly's diving coach, and went down to watch the, the divers there. But and I also went. Oh, just last week I went to Melbourne City, and I was very impressed with what they do. So that's the 
the city group. So obviously Man City in the own six teams over the world and um, Patrick Kishnobo was the, the coach they played in the Premier League a bit, Leicester and Leeds. Yeah. And the, the head coach is a guy called Eric Mombart. And he wrote the city methodology, their way of playing with the technic, technical director of Man City. So I was very, very impressed with how everything they did related to their style of play. I thought the way they set up, he set up his drills in training and what they did in training, it always included an element of attack organisation, an element of defence organisation and a, a transition from attack to defence and a transition from defence to attack. Every single thing they did complete, con, contained all of those. Lots of constraints on training. Uh, the last thing they did was 11 on 11, but one side had three goals with three keepers in to shoot into with the idea of trying to create more opportunities and getting guys to especially to create opportunities down the flank. I just, I was, I was very impressed how the whole organization was, well, this methodology basically fed into everything they did. Nice. And thanks very much for sending the notes. I do appreciate I've, uh, <laughs> I've shared them with Rusty. I've shared them with Rusty. Um, I mean, interesting you mentioned constraints. So I, in return, I sent you some stuff from Danny Newcomb around, I think he explains it the best. He explains, so everybody's coaching using constraints, but actually understand the, either purpose, well, kind of what a constraint is, a purpose of constraints, and then some skills around using them. I do, I think lots of coaches would benefit from that. Well, well what's your best bits of stuff that you're doing in training? So if, again, if you were to share a secret or what sort of stuff have you been doing around your coaching? Not necessarily constraints, um, but... So I'd say, I'd say I've got a big focus on the, the the basics and say for example I'm coaching a line out there's there's certain things that the the whole team has bought into and every training session every review in the game we will always just might just touch on them but touch on these basics whether the outcome was was good or bad well how how were the basics that we've agreed will lead us to good outcomes eventually so we'll when you say so when you say basics, what do you mean? Are you meaning some 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 core fundamental skills? Are you meaning look this is a, this is stuff that's important for us? This is the stuff that we measure. Which or is it both? Which what's basics mean? Um, a very so simple one would be just the effort when somebody's lifting. So a lift in the line out to to throw lift. Okay. So can you throw and catch on the hamstrings now? You get some younger guys in training who aren't as strong and it's hard for them but as long as I'm seeing the effort there we have to have that in defence and attack and we'll just talk about it again and again and again because you can do all the movement you want in, in the world but if you don't have the basics of a strong lift at the end of it then what, what's the point? Okay, so the basics so to you is... Like that. Um, go on, sorry mate, go on. Go on mate. No, I'm, I'm just saying that so the basics to you is some stuff that's some non-negotiables that you talk about, you practice, and that you measure as well. Um, yeah, well, there's always a measure, so I'll track them. Uh, more sessions and in, in the game. So, say for example, we've won twelve out of twelve lineouts, and it seems like a really good outcome. Well, if I if I were attempt at a throw lift, is it fifty percent? Well, that would be getting brought up, and the lads will know. So, because even though we've got away with it in that game, I'm a firm believer that that sort of basic principle, if it, if it becomes a 
well, you're not going to be getting away with it further on. So let's make sure just good habits are, were there constantly. And then other things as well, for just like say, just basic effort. Um, effort, effort. Well, there's lots of things in the packs so are saying a scrum line not wet to the naked eye and somebody watching. You can't really tell who's who's doing what, who's pushing, who's trying the hardest because it's not it's not sexy, is it? I'm sure you don't find them all sexy. Um, <laughs> but you know those those things there they matter because you know, it just matters to your teammates that are in there. So we'll always just touch on the, the basics um, that I think will lead to good outcomes eventually, and just effort around non-negotiables. Okay, mate. Right, so where? Just on coaching, what's the stuff you're working on? What's the stuff you want to get better at? So you spoke a little bit around environments, but what's the what's the stuff that you're currently? Yeah, I'll just start. The biggest thing I'm looking at when I've gone to different environments is 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 messaging and how can I how can I make players learn better and more quickly? How can I get transfer of knowledge across in a, a shorter amount of time? Um, you know, when, when we've not got long week to week and there's you know a lot of, probably a lot of players here as well might not have the 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 full sort of if you're in the UK lads might pick up a rugby ball age six some lads here might just start maybe come from other sports and come in the late teens so how can I get them to get the the best amount of, most amount of knowledge in in the in the head as as quickly as possible so what stuff you doing about it what stuff you thinking. Oh, so I'm just going look different environments. I think our meetings can can be different. Fletch probably post training, especially with um, a lot of the the Pacific Island boys. Let's 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 get them in and let's get them in little groups of twos and threes afterwards. I also feel like I still need to learn more about the people, so the people and where they've come from, the the families. Why are why are they the the people they are? Basically, what have been their influences? And I think I've still got a. a a way to go with that. I mean, I imagine you can never. You'll know as a as a, an older coach. You'll, uh, Thank you. you. You can probably never. You're always improving. Aren't you? I just feel I can get so much better with knowing the person um, and how can I how can I make that person learn more more effectively. Oh look, man! I think that's some stuff I'm just picking out there. Definitely, it's about learning in your environment it's about accelerating that learning you're you're definitely afforded more time when you work within a development program it's not so much of a stress if you've had a result and you've got a game then yeah um so i, I can definitely understand you talking about that uh i think the best learning environment as in if we're purely going to talk about learning is that i think the best learning environment would be would have a high amount of them coaching each other i think that's the fast way sometimes a coach is getting in the way in my opinion I think uh, yeah. I think the coach needs to see themselves as a facilitator um, definitely at times you're going to adapt possibly a little bit more around tail and look this is how it is we're going to go go for that but um, yeah I think eventually they're going to have to experience stuff and they're going to have to sort of share and coach each other I love the way you're talking yeah. about the person Um I do think that you would do that well, Jeff. I think you're naturally curious. Um, you can always do it better, Fletch. You can always do it better. I'm loving your mindset around that. But I do think that would be a significant strength of yours. So if somebody said, look, we're thinking about getting Jeff Paul in, well, what, what, what's going to be strengths as a coach? I would say he will. He'd be really interested in the person and he'll find out about the person. Um, and then you just mentioned Priming. I was hoping to Go on. Yeah. I was just going to say, I would hope if you saw the sessions as well, you would see that peer-to-peer learning. 
So certainly on those on the basics and the philosophies, I, I would hope lads would 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 really drive that. It really would. Um, one area probably I need to get better is, and I actually saw so for a few years now I've been emailing back and forth with with Mike Cron. Um, you know, doing a little bit with him, and I met him in Christchurch last season, and he just said, "Well, just constructing a meeting, just something, just basic." So he will he'll have his say he's got twelve points in a meeting, and He'll just start every meeting with a discussion about the game. And if in that discussion, in the peer-to-peer discussion, clip two, six, seven, nine are covered and the points are covered, he'll just he'll just cut them out. He won't show them. Whereas what I would probably do is I would this season I've still showed it to back up or I'll back up his point, I'll back up that point there, which you can do sometimes, but actually sometimes in the peer-to-peer learning, if they've brought the point, can I just probably just back them, just back them actually, they've, they've got it there, you know, let's just see that, that transfer from them. Yeah, it is, lots of coaches would do stuff just in case, it's a little bit of, of their, probably their insecurity around, you know, I used to work with a coach who'd actually have stuff on the wall and he would literally tick it off, oh, what have you done that, we've, 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 we've sort of done that and I'm thinking, I don't think you need to do that, I think they've got it, I think that's for your benefit, I don't think it's helpful for the players. That type of stuff, and actually, yeah, you're going to have to give them some more responsibility. But uh, no, that's interesting. I mean, definitely the stuff around priming and meetings and and actually learning off the grass is definitely something that uh, people are occupying them times thinking about. What sort of stuff are are you doing off the grass learning? What sort of stuff? Well, I know it's off the grass, but I'm I'm a big one when I'm learning something new with um, just a simple walkthrough, wherever it is, just finding ten minutes in a building. Just simple walkthroughs. I think lads are generally pretty visual, so showing them um, showing them something very good in a, in a meeting and getting them to walk throughs and I just I just think if they I will normally prime say the line out lead, line out leader and a few of the, of the locks as well to get together go off any new go over any new learning then they can drive that in a in a walkthrough. I look if if something's wrong I don't want us to waste time so I would step in then. But in general, it's it works works okay. Yeah, no, that's your gift as a coach, isn't it? To actually, well, yeah, look, I'm hearing it. This is a direction we're going and stuff. I lived in New Zealand, not lived when when I went to New Zealand. Um, I really loved how they had big, big um, pitches in their meeting rooms, like huge ones, so you could actually walk on it. Their 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 men were s- smaller than me, but they were you know they were stuff that you could pick up and you move around. So I loved the way they had conversations about the game and they were on the pitch having it, um, okay. I thought that That's was good. useful. I thought they often used their big screen on the pitch well. So there was a, you know, it was often, the, and I know lots of teams are doing it now, not everybody's afforded with it, but I think even at their training grounds in New Zealand, they had a big screen so people can just see stuff. Why has it worked? Why why hasn't that gone well? Um so yeah, that's definitely stuff stuff I've seen. I know that um, I know that Andy Banks said with the with the divers, a thing, he, a really good thing he had in the UK was when they would dive, he had a, a screen, a big screen that was on a I don't know what a twenty fifteen second delay, so he could tell them the points and he could also show them instantly. Yeah. Um, just having that delayed screen instantly was the, he thought that feedback worked worked really well. Yeah. Look- Best often best learnings in the moment. So you know, wait until Monday or wait until the next. You know, and again, that's why having peer to peer stuff in games, and that's also what I enjoyed about you and the rest of the lads because it was often you weren't that well resourced within the academy, and 
me and Walter were probably just having a chat anyway. You guys would solve problems yourselves. You'd have conversations. Because um, learning is in the moment. So the, often the best learning is in the moment type stuff. Mate, what, what does the future hold for you? What sort of stuff you're thinking about? If we're having this conversation in three years' time, what sort of things do you think might happen from a coaching point of view? Well, hopefully I can I can be a better coach um, and just keep getting better. So, like I'm like I want players to learn, but I I want to keep learning. I don't like when when I was playing, I don't think I ever stopped learning and taking on new things. So, just just keep just keep getting better. How can I how can I be better? Um, you know, hopefully with the you know, we can really pro- progress next year and. Um, probably laid some good foundations now, but um, we we really need to kick on and yeah, Fletch, I'm just I'm just excited, enjoying it, but I can definitely, as we all can, do do things better. As uh, John Wooden, I don't know if he said this exactly, but he said something like this: if the best way to improve the team is to improve yourself, obviously. I mean, it would obviously make sense. I think players have responsibility, but definitely coaches do. Some coaches, um, I'm like. Curious. If I was asking them, so where have you been? What environment? What are you working on? Uh, there would there, there there might be a bit of silence. Um, and mate, I'm oh, certainly, I'm certainly go on. Certainly, the environment in it's it's you know it's big to pushing on coaches to learn. I'm surrounded by some high quality sports, and you know obviously in Super Rugby as well. So just trying to take in as much as I can, and from. Even if I go if I go to an environment and, and look at it and don't take much, there might be one thing that I get from it that actually either backs up what I'm thinking or a little snippet. Or that's a better way of that's a better way of putting it. And I think that's just a really useful thing. So, so you you mentioned you're going to Seahawks, you're going to the Trailblazers on the way home. That's that's what you. Why is them? Yeah. Well, what's the reason? Uh, well, my mate lives in Portland. So that's a big thing with, a, with my godson, who I've been a pretty bad godfather to for the last few years because I've not seen him in years. Um, so I'll pop over to stay in. My mate works in, in Nike there. So that was the first link then. Um, probably just Pete, Pete Carroll, you know, he's he's had a big influence on the coaches here at Rebels as well and his philosophy. They always compete. Mm-hmm. is his philosophy. So what we spoke about earlier. So, and they're quite receptive as well. So, I'm, I'm looking forward to taking the game, getting into the environment, and then the Trailblazers, just a, a meeting with a couple of guys as well. I'm really looking forward to it. And then you're heading over here, you're going into Chiefs Tigers, over to, over to see Peely, with the smallest Chiefs teams Tigers in the world. Peely at Tarries, yeah. So get, get into there. Um, so obviously see some mates, some more boys, and just see what's happening back in the UK, and hopefully to pick up some certain areas I can cover, any other areas that other companies can, I can feed back to here. And yeah, just seeing team what's going on. Certainly, you know, there's some some very good teams there and some good players that'll be very interesting. Cool, mate. Last thing we often do this, so it's a one word answer. It's a word association. First thing that comes, I'm going to give you a word. You give me an answer. Keep it clean, please. This is where sometimes people let themselves down. First one's Brexit. Nonsense. Falcons Academy. Legends. Waltz. Hero. Family. Yeah. Key. Line out. <laughs> Key. <laughs> Australia. 
awesome. Great, yeah, great place. Cricket? Slow. <laughs> you know I'm not a cricketman, Fletch. Come oh, on, no, that no, hand-eye no. coordination. Although, <laughs> although you should be with those arms. Uh, mum and dad? Northern. Oh, mate, that's, that's making me happy inside. Coaching? Um, learning. Nice. England rugby? Uh, strong. Strong chance. Backs? Nonsense. <laughs> Forwards? Heroes. <laughs> Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure, Jeff. Uh, enjoy your your travels. Say hi to Elle and the family. You said you're going to, I know this might sound weird, but please send me a picture of your kids. I'm pretty, yeah, keep going on about this. Yeah, I just, I just like seeing people's families. I'm just, I'm well, curious. She, well, she's permanently in a, she, my two-year-old's permanently in a Supergirl outfit with a scooter <laughs> helmet on. Every, well, that's uh, cool. Uh, that's <laughs> cool. My, uh, my, uh, my, uh, my eldest used to always wander around with a, with a cricket helmet on with cricket gloves for like permanently. So it was all good. Mate, thanks thanks very much. Uh, some of the sound kept on breaking out, but mate, the, that, that was awesome. It's been great to connect with you. And you stay on the line. However, I'm going to stop this over and out. Good man. Thanks, Fletch. Thanks, mate.